Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them back, if you would, to Galatians chapter 5. And I just want to begin this morning by challenging you to do something as you prepare your heart to hear from God this morning, not from Rick Bird. You know, oftentimes we come into church and we're so distracted. We've got maybe family issues going on or we've got things related to our jobs or maybe it's health issues, but things of some kind or another are just vying for our attention and it's hard for us to, to concentrate and uh, to just really hear what God wants to say to us. You know, um, uh, sometimes, oftentimes when God speaks to us, it's not in this big loud voice. It's not in this, you know, big commotion. It's in that still, small voice of his. And what I want to challenge you to do this morning is something maybe you um, are not challenged to do quite often. And that is, I want you to test, to do a test with yourself today. Maybe you're not, maybe it's hard for you to listen. Um, uh, you know, uh, one of my children, it's just hard um, for that one to listen. Um, and maybe you find yourself like that. We all listen differently. I get that. We all learn differently. But I want you to just this morning to think about God's word. And why did God bring me to church this morning? What is it that God wants me to learn this morning from his word that can impact my life and make my life better? And to do that, I'm going to ask you to overlook the mispronunciations that I might make, the us. You probably count them uh, each Sunday. How many times he said, uh? I know one person does. But I want to challenge you because I believe this message this morning from Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23 is probably one of the most powerful messages in this whole book because we've been talking about legalism versus grace. We've been talking about this conflict between the old nature and the new nature and you know and I know that there is this internal war going on inside our soul, inside us, that there are times when we feel ourselves doing good. We're, uh, you know, going along and we seem to be doing fine. And then all of a sudden we find the old nature taking charge again. And Paul wants us to understand that um, we don't have to live like that. That we can live in the freedom that Paul, that the, the gospel talks about um, if we will just let go. If we will just surrender ourselves and our being and uh, our minds and our wills to the will of God. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but there is an internal war going inside you. There is a civil war, or I should say an uncivil war, between the old nature and the new nature. And there, um, that old nature um, is always pushing us toward sin. And the new nature, uh, controlled by the Holy Spirit, is prompting us toward holy living. And so we're in this constant struggle between 
committing sin and trying to live a holy life. Well, there are many passages in the Bible that address this internal, in, this internal conflict, <clears throat> but none is more important than this one found right here in Galatians chapter 5. But I want you to take away this morning is the Christian life is lived under the direction and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to see Paul makes two points here with regard to the spirit led life. And understanding these truths will set you free to have victory in that war um, uh, that's going on inside your soul right now between the flesh and the spirit. The first thing I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit enables us to prevail over the flesh. Now, if you look, let's look again, just so in case you forgot um, uh, from our reading earlier, look what Paul says here again in verse 16. He said, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then he goes into the works of the flesh, which we're going to get into in just a minute. But the point is, just like um, Isaac and Ishmael were unable to get along, those two brothers, sons of Abraham, the Spirit and the flesh, the old nature and the new nature, they too are at war and they do not get along. By the flesh, Paul does not mean the body. The body, the human body is not sinful. In spite of what some people try to teach, the human body is not sinful. What he's referring to here are the lust or the desires of the flesh. The spirit and the flesh have different appetites. And that's what creates the conflict. If you could compare the two natures to animals, it would be like this. Your sin nature is like a pig or a vulture. Now, we know that pigs love filth and vultures feed on rotten flesh. By contrast, our Jesus nature or our spiritual nature, the nature controlled by the Holy Spirit is like a lamb or a dove. They don't touch rotten food. They stay away from filthy food. They are drawn towards clean food. And so if you take your old nature, you could look at it like an old pig or a, a vulture and the new nature like a, a dove. And Paul says, whichever one you feed, that's what's going to control you. Whichever nature controls you. See, sin is a battle of two wills. The human nature wills us to sin. The Holy Spirit wills us to be holy. And the solution is not to pit our will against the flesh, but to surrender our will to the Holy Spirit. God not only gives us the power to overcome sin, but he also gives us the will if we ask. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we can overcome sin by praying like Jesus, not my will, but thy will be done. <clears throat> 
Maybe you watch. Let me get let me see if I can give you an analogy that will help you. Some of you watched the Daytona 500 a couple of weeks ago. You notice at the beginning of the race, there is what is called a pace car. Okay, the pace car's job is to get all the drivers um, in line and get them ready for the race. And the pace driver starts out at a certain speed, then he speeds up and gets the cars to where they are uh, driving um, uh, without him. He is he does his job. He's off. But you notice that behind the pace car, the cars I noticed last week as I watched the very beginning of the race that the cars. Some of those cars were doing like this. Do you notice that? I didn't know. I thought, what in the world are they doing? Are they getting too close? And then one of the commentators said, that's what they do to clean off their tires, to get the gravel or the oil that might have gotten on their tires. They're doing that. So see, they're following the pace car, but they're free to do what they want as they follow that pace car. Now compare that to a train. You have a locomotive who is pulling cars connected to the locomotive. The cars are at the mercy and the will of the locomotive. Paul wants you to understand, your old life is like a pace car in a, in a race. Um, you're following behind, trying to do, keep up, but you're still in control. What you need to do is hook yourself to the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit pull you through life. And what Paul's saying is, you've got both the will, but you've got the power as well. It's our will, our desire to follow the, the new nature, the, the, the Holy Spirit. But he gives us the power to do what it is that God wants us to do. Now, Paul lists some 15 sins of the flesh. Um, here in these verses. And he concludes the list with, in verse 21, and things like these. Now that means the list isn't exhaustive, so if you don't find your pet sin listed, that doesn't give you a pass. Okay? I just want to say that at the beginning. <clears throat> these 15 sins fall into three basic categories, and that's what I want you to look at. First of all, he mentions sexual sins in verse 19. He uses three words for sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Now, sexual immorality um, is illicit sexual activity that includes such things as adultery, Fornication, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution. Impurity is moral impurity. It's uh, things that dirty or pollute or soil one's life. And then sensuality. Uh, that's uh, lasciviousness or uh, filthiness. It's indecent sexual thoughts and behavior uh, without any shame or concern of what others think or how they might be affected. It's the, the uh, easiness with which you can um, tell a dirty joke. That's what he's talking about there when he uses that word sensuality. <clears throat> what I want you to understand is, is that sex isn't something that's dirty or forbidden by God. God created sex, and he, 
it, sex is the deepest act of intimacy between a husband and a wife in the bonds of marriage. Done right, sex is a wonderful and beautiful thing. All other forms of sexual expression, though, um, uh, such as adultery, homosexuality, premarital sex, are sinful according to the Word of God. Whatever society says doesn't mean that it changes what God's Word says. Um, whatever your sexual past may be, can I just say this to encourage you? Whatever your sexual past may have been, God can forgive you and God can redeem your past. Starting today, ask God to give you the strength to stay sexually pure until you're married and to stay sexually pure within your marriage. Paul says these are sins that the old nature are likely to commit. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Then he mentions a second group of sins, which I call spiritual sins. There are two here, idolatry and sorcery in verse 20. Idolatry, as we know, is the worship of idols, whether those are material idols made by hand or mental images that we have in our mind. Sorcery, that word comes from our English word pharmaceutical, which is related to drugs. And sorcery is the use of mood or mind-altering drugs to induce um, supposed communication with spiritual deities. People are searching desperately for meaningful spiritual experience, which will bring them inner peace. And they will look in, they will do anything for this inner peace that they're looking for, even to the point of engaging in things like idolatry and sorcery. They're turning to all kinds of substitutes and idols and mind-altering drugs. But friend, listen, real spiritual peace can only be found in the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, don't get involved in idolatry and sorcery and the things like them, the occult and all those things. Next on his list are what might be termed social sins. Of the 15 different sins that Paul lists, over half of them have to do with our relationship with other people. Now you might be thinking, you might be feeling good about yourself so far, okay? He mentioned the sexual sins. Maybe you don't have a problem with that in that area of your life. Then he mentions spiritual sins. Maybe you don't have a problem with idolatry or sorcery or the occult practices, things like that. But now look, he mentions our relationship with other people. He says these sins include enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. Let's just look at these. Enmity. That's hateful attitudes, hostility, animosity. It's a hatred that lingers and is held for a long time. <clears throat> Strife, that is discord or contention, fighting, quarreling, dissension, jealousy. That's a form of anger and hateful resentment <clears throat> that's caused by coveting for oneself what belongs to someone else. 
fits of anger, a violent and explosive temper, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These include fights and factions and animosities between individuals and groups. It's a cliquish spirit, you might say. Envy. Now, envy goes beyond jealousy. Envy wants not only the things another person has, but begrudges the fact that the person has the things they have. Drunkenness. We all know what drunkenness is. It's the excess intake of alcohol causing one to become intoxicated. He could have easily talked about, you know, being high on drugs. It's the same thing. And then he finishes the list with things like these. In other words, any other such sinful behavior. And then he follows up with this warning in verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Very simply, those who live by the flesh shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, there's a false assurance of salvation that's being espoused today and that people believe or being taught or are teaching that is not based on the gospel at all. Many people have a wrong understanding of salvation by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. They mistakenly think that because we're saved by grace that God will be quick to forgive without any expectation for righteous living. But can I let you in on something important this morning? The fact that the believer, the fact that those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the fact that we are not under law any longer but under grace is no excuse for sin. As we said last week, we are set free from sin, not to sin. If anything, being under grace is an encouragement to live in obedience to the Lord. Now, you might be thinking, Rick, I've committed some of those sins that you just mentioned in that list that's listed there that Paul gives us here. I've done some of those things. Am I a Christian? Am I going to heaven? Am I going to inherit the kingdom of God? What Christian can claim that he or she has never committed a single one of those sins that Paul lists in this list? You see, Paul is not talking about an act of sin, but rather a habit of sin. He doesn't say those who commit these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says those who do. That word is translated practice in the New American Standard Bible. Um, Those who do, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The verb there in the Greek translates a present active participle indicating ongoing continuous action. It is the continual practice of such things that will keep one out of the kingdom of God. In other words, it could be translated like this. Those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not if you just 
commit an act of sin. And it was one of these sins that Paul lists. That's not going to keep you out of the kingdom of God. What's going to keep one out of the kingdom of God is thinking that it's okay for me to continue to do these things. And I take those sins and they become a part of my lifestyle. Paul says, if that's your attitude, regardless of what you say, regardless of how you say you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, if you can take any sin in that list or any other sin and uh, accept it into your life and, and it becomes a pattern for living, Paul is warning us, you better think about long and hard about your salvation, about your profession of faith in Christ. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You see, it doesn't matter how religious a person is, no matter how much zeal we may have in keeping religious rituals, no matter how active we are in attending church and giving um, to uh, the ministries in the church or ministries outside the church, if a person does not live a pure and righteous life out of love for God, Paul says he will not inherit the kingdom of God. And Paul's point is that because these lifestyles of sin typify those who do not know Jesus, then those of us who do know Jesus should be eager to avoid such practices. Why? Because we have the Spirit of God within us. And if we have the Spirit of God within us, that should display a different set of characteristics in our life than those that are in that list that he's just mentioned. There's an old story about our two natures. You've probably heard me use it before, and I use it again because you probably forgot the first time I said it. And it makes a valid point. But it goes like this. There was an American Indian, an old Indian man who um, uh, was led to Christ by a traveling missionary. And um, when the missionary returned, he was asking the old um, Indian fella um, about his Christian life, how he was doing, how he was getting along in his walk with the Lord. And the man described the inner battle between right and wrong going on um, within his uh, heart. He said, it was as if two dogs were fighting inside me. A mean dog wanted me to do wrong and a good dog wants me to do um, uh, good, what is right. And then the missionary asked, which dog wins the battle? The Indian thought for a moment and said with great wisdom, the one I feed the most. Which dog are you feeding the most? Which nature are you feeding the most? The old nature or your new nature? How do you feed the new nature? Through reading the Bible, through prayer, through worship, small groups, things of that, listening to Christian music. That feeds the new nature. 
Every time we refuse to feed the new nature, guess what? We're likely to feed the old nature, whatever that sin is. Friend, we have a choice between starving our old sin nature and feeding our new spiritual nature. It's up to you which one you feed. So, look in the second place. The Holy Spirit enables us to produce fruit. Paul says in verses 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In other words, there's a better way to live. Contrasted with the sins of the flesh is the fruit of the Spirit. The sins of the flesh are done by a person's own efforts, whether a person is saved or not. Do you know that a bad person can do good things at times? But they can't do good all the time. Neither can the believer. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced by God's Spirit and only lives in the lives of those that belong to Him through faith in Christ. Now, I want to announce this morning that I'm going to be starting a 10-week series within this series through Galatians on the fruits of the Spirit. You know, I have um, uh, talked about the fruits of the Spirit for years. We always lump them together, but I have never preached on each one of these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Um, uh, so here is Rick Bird's topical sermon series. Um, uh, some of you have wondered if I ever preach topical messages. This will be it. Um, within this expository series of messages, we're going to look um, uh, at each one of these um, uh, characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The first thing I want you to note is that the Bible says, look at this, this is important, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Now, shouldn't it say... The fruits of the Spirit are? No. And it's an important point that I want you to see here. There's only one fruit. There's only one fruit. But it has nine tastes or flavors. It's kind of like a roll of lifesavers. There's only one roll, but many different flavors in that roll. You see, some people confuse the gifts of the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit. There are somewhere around 15 different gifts of the Spirit um, listed in uh, Scripture, which are supernatural abilities for ministry that God gives to each of His um, <clears throat> children. There are a variety of gifts, and no Christian has all the gifts. You may only have one or two gifts of the Spirit. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit... You can't say, well, I have the fruit of joy, but I don't have the fruit of patience. You see, when the Holy Spirit is controlling your life, <clears throat> you will display all nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the outward indicator of salvation. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. Look at it up there on the screen. He said, you will recognize them by their fruit. 
Fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So Paul lists nine characteristics of the godly fruit produced by the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you know what he's basically doing here? He's basically giving you a description of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. These are nine characteristics of the Lord himself. And remember, as Christians, we are followers of Christ. I want you to ask yourself this question. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in my life? Is the character of Jesus being formed in me? Perhaps you can say, yeah, but I would love more progress. I see a lot of love. I see a lot of joy, but I don't see a lot of patience. I don't see a lot of self-control. I don't see a lot of gentleness. It may not be, but remember, maybe you've been following along behind a pace car rather than hooking up to the Holy Spirit. And you've been trying in your own power to achieve those things when you need to let the Holy Spirit achieve them in you, for you. Friend, join the crowd if these characteristics are not all evident in your life the way you would want them to be. We all have room for improvement. Amen? Amen. Can I just say, though, that is no excuse just to stop where you are. You know, I said to the guys this morning as we met for prayer before we came in here, um, and I've been praying this prayer for myself for a long time now. When I say a long time, I mean in at least the last few years. As you get to this age in life and you've been in ministry as long as I have, it's easy to settle. It's easy to think well, I've done all these things and I've, I've walked with the Lord for all these years and, and I've seen these changes in my life today to where I was as a young person in high school and college when God turned my life around. But at 65 years of age, you know what my one prayer is more than anything else? I want to keep on learning and I want to keep on changing as the Holy Spirit has more and more control over Rick Bird. Paul is saying you may not be a gentle person today you may not be tender you may have a problem with patience but it's not an impossibility. It depends upon your will and the power that you are letting control 
your life. If you're trying to do it on your own, no, it may never happen. But if you are surrendered fully to the Holy Spirit of God, it's not going to happen overnight. But just like in some of these other areas, these characteristics that you look at and you see in your life that are true today that weren't true years ago, if God can do that in one area, why can't he do it in all those areas? He can. Remember what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Whatever fruits, whatever characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are not evident today, trust God that He can produce that fruit over time as you yield to the Spirit and put to death the flesh. Look what He says in verse 24. Here it is. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The word crucified is a vivid and dramatic way of saying killed or executed. In other words, my flesh, he is saying, the flesh, that old sin nature has been crucified with Christ, executed, slain. All its passions and desires is dead in the sense of no longer reigning over me or holding me in inescapable bondage. Why? Because we now live in the realm where Christ reigns over us. In John 15, Jesus said this. John 15, verse 5, he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever, put your name there where it says whoever. If Rick abides in me and I in Rick, he it is that bears fruit, then Rick can bear fruit. Apart from me, Rick can do nothing. So put your name right there. Offer it up as a prayer to God and say, God, you are, Jesus, you are the vine. I am the branch. If I abide in you and you in me, then I can bear much fruit. Notice it doesn't say bear fruit. It says much fruit. Apart from him, I can do nothing. And our job is simply to abide in Christ. That is to stay firmly attached to Jesus' life. And he will produce these virtues in us. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next 10 weeks. Each one of these virtues. Maybe you're strong in some. Maybe you're weak in others. But I trust that we together will pray that God through his Holy Spirit will make each of them evident to some degree or another in our life. There was a village leader from a remote area of Nepal. He had visited a modern city, and it was, for the, it was the first time he had ever gotten outside of his 
little village there in Nepal. And as you can imagine, he was fascinated by um, all the electric lights and all of the uh, things that he was seeing for the first time that he had never seen before back in his uh, little village. Um, uh, when, he, when he went into his hotel room, he was amazed that he could flip a switch on the wall and a light in a circular globe um, uh, up on the attached to the ceiling could come on. And so with the little money that the village had given him uh, for his journey, he went to a hardware store and he bought a few light bulbs and a plastic wall switch. When the villagers saw him upon his return and with the strange items that he had purchased, they asked him, what are those things? And he said, just wait until dark and you will see. So when the members of the village gathered together that evening, um, uh, they saw the man had tied um, uh, a balls of glass to the underside of the ceiling, and he had um, attached the plastic switch plate to the wall. And finally, he said to them, watch this. And he flipped the switch, and of course, nothing happened. You see, he thought all he had to do was get the components, attach the light to the ceiling, the switch to the wall, and the lights would come on. But what he failed to do was the most important part of the whole operation. He had failed to connect the switch to the power, the electricity. Can I just tell you this morning? You can try and try and try and try for the rest of your life to put love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control and have those things characteristic of your life. And if you and I are doing it on our own, apart from the Holy Spirit of God, it won't happen. But every one of you who have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord have the power already available in you. It's a matter of surrendering your will to his will. And when you connect your will with his power, there is nothing, nothing that you can't do. And that war that is taking place on the inside, you will begin to see victory as the sins of the flesh begin to diminish and the characteristics of the fruit begin to increase. It depends which nature you choose to feed, the old or the new. When you feed the new on the Word of God, in prayer, in fellowship with other believers, in worship, listening to Christian music, then all of a sudden, you begin to understand you're like a car connected to the locomotive and the Holy Spirit is just pulling you along on the track of life. And you're going to see changes 
in those areas where you're weak today. And I don't know about you, but it gives me great encouragement and hope to know God is not finished with me yet. And he's not finished with you either. Would you stand with me and bow your head?